Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and before we get into it, we once again like to remind you to please make sure you subscribe on your favourite pod platforms, and if you like it, leave a nice review. Do something pleasant for the world. This is a little different to a normal episode, uh, because we're going to look back at the month of February and try and take a more considered view of how it went. As you've probably gathered, uh, our regular pods are a much more focused and immediate reaction to the games that have been taking place in a specific week. This special pod series is going to be an attempt to be more reflective and look at the bigger picture. Uh, This is something that we are planning to do every month. This is the first one, though, so let's hope it works. Now, let's meet tonight's team. Ricky, good evening. How are you? Oh, good evening, Steph. Second time in 24 hours. I'm not complaining. Very good. Very good. I'm, sh- I'm sure uh, Mrs. Ricky is because uh, Wanker Chat has just doubled in her world, hasn't it, really? so Yeah, she was <laughs> earlier when I sprang it on her that I was doing Monday night as well. She was not happy, but I'm here. I've locked the door. She can't get in. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, Milo, hello, mate. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Someone left the lounge door open. I've sneaked out, uh, found a microphone, so you're stuck with me tonight. Excellent. Very good indeed. Yes, and uh, always nice to be stuck with you. Uh, Gareth, hello and welcome back. And uh, we should note, uh, everyone, that this is sort of uh, Gareth's uh, Gareth's baby, this this idea, wasn't it, mate? Well, um, well, thanks for giving me the credit for it. It was was something that I always think it's important that when we think about a particular game, you have to look at the big picture. And I think just by being able to reflect back on a number of games, because they're coming so thick and fast at the moment, does help you to identify any bigger patterns or trends that are maybe out there at the moment and not getting caught up in some of the knee-jerk reaction. Fantastic. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, if you have any complaints about tonight's episode, please address them to Gareth, because it will all be his fault. Uh- <laughs> You walked right into that. Wonderful. But seriously, it's a great idea. Let's start, I think, with... Uh, I think we should consider the fallout towards the end of January. We did end January with losses to Liverpool and Brighton. Uh, let's kick it off. Uh, Gareth, kick it off. How, you know, how are you feeling at the end of January? And what were your expectations going into the month of February? January was was pretty awful towards the end of it. Remember that Kane had just got injured. It felt at the end of that Brighton game as if the players had lost all interest in, in the Mourinho project. And it kind of felt like we were entering the Mourinho toxic whirlpool that I think we've all been expecting to happen for, for quite a while. And it, it was hard to see where, where there was any joy coming out of it. It felt very similar to about 12 months ago. We're really only going into lockdown and then coming back out of it with Kane and Son helped us again. So, um, End of January wasn't a good time for us, and there wasn't a great deal to look forward to either. So, Ricky, Gareth brought us nicely into uh, how you know you might have viewed February, given how awful January was. I uh, think it was not a great time to be a Tottenham Hotspur supporter. So, as you sat at the beginning of February, looking at that Week One fixture against Chelsea, how are you feeling? Well, as Gareth said, the Harry Kane injury was, you know, we've been there before. We thought hopefully that wasn't going to be something that was going to be long term. It didn't look great when it happened. With the Brighton game, we made comparisons to like exactly the time when Poch played that Brighton game where we had a bit of a disaster. So coming into the Feb game and against Chelsea, there wasn't much hope in that game. And the one the one remark I put against that was we were passive, but sadly not aggressive. And that's that kind of summed the whole game up for me, basically. You hope for, you know, you hope for the t- 
start of the month things to turn a corner and it just didn't look like that was happening. Milo, come come in off the back of that. And let's also remember this was the third game in a row that Jose, uh, in the Premiership anyway, that Jose has lost to Chelsea uh, as Tottenham Hotspur manager. I think it's the, our worst performance of the season, that Chelsea game. Ricky said we were very passive. And I, I think through this period, Mourinho is chopping and changing. He seems to be second guessing the Chelsea game. We played this strange four-two-two-two formation, which I don't think we've played with him before. So it was Sissoko and Hoybier with Ndombele and Bergwin in front of them, and then Moore and Son up top. Through this period, he didn't seem to know what his best team was or what he was trying to do one game to to the next and trying to second guess the team. So even the good results during this period were a bit strange. When we, uh, you know, we. We look at coming out from that Chelsea defeat. Gareth, do you think that he was already feeling under pressure? Do you think Jose was feeling the heat? I mean, uh, did did Jose feel any heat uh, in early February? I think we all felt he was probably feeling the heat. And we had the stats and the data to suggest that the results over a period of time had dropped to a level that Daniel Levy usually acts at. But I mean, actually, to be fair to to Mourinho, every time I saw him interviewed post-match, he cut a very calm figure out. Actually, he didn't strike the chord of someone who felt like he was a game away from the sack. He he almost seemed quite measured, I think, after that Chelsea game, far more so than I expected. And you talked about that toxic whirlpool earlier. Usually what happens is he starts throwing players under the bus and it starts happening regularly. Now, I think we'll probably go on to discuss there have been instances in the month where he has singled players out, but I don't think it's quite happened to the extent that we that we thought it was going to do. And he, yeah, he struck me as someone who who wasn't fearing that his, his job and his time at the club was about to be up and over. Ricky, I'm going to throw, before we get to the next game in this month uh, against West Brom at home, I'm going to throw one final point about the beginning of the month and Jose Mourinho. Do you think that perhaps he felt a sense of calm because the transfer window is finally closed and he knew what he had to deal with? He knew who he was going to have to accommodate and he knew who he wasn't going to buy. Do you think that might be fair comment or, or not? I think possibly is the fair comment. It just depends on his mindset, whether he did get absolutely everyone that he wanted. I suppose you can think, well, this is what I've got now. That's the settled squad. But I think maybe his calmness might have been more, I think it possibly could be a bit more of a reaction to thinking I could possibly have a shitstorm brewing here and um, things are feeling a bit slightly out of control. I'm not quite sure I'm turning this way and that way and things aren't improving. And he maybe was just bringing kind of level of calm rather than feeding the kind of media frenzy that could come with him sort of, you know, going off the rails slightly. I think January, the, De- the Deli Alley thing was a big distraction. It was, it was rumbling all, all, all month, lots of questions about it. And yeah, I, I don't think that helped. And I mean, even Gedson Fernandez, whether he was staying or going, got quite a lot of interest. So I, th- I think he probably was pleased that the window had closed and he knew who he, who he was going to work with. And I think in Delhi's case, I mean, maybe it helped him settle down as well. He knew that he was going to be with us for the rest of the season. And it meant that he had to focus. He had to focus on, on you know, on f- getting away back into the team. We obviously, West Brom is probably the best game we could have had in terms of looking to bounce back from what was an awful start to the month after a terrible previous. It was a game where we saw Jose, for my money, first start to take the handbrake off. And I know that, you know, uh, Milo, you and I have had discussions about where he's played in Dombele in relation to, to Hoiberg previously. But I think in terms of the mentality that he sent the side out with against West Brom, it was maybe the f- you know a signal that he was prepared to start letting the handbrake off a bit more. Do you think that's fair comment? 
We've seen it both ways throughout the season, so I don't think it's necessarily a new thing. Uh, and Dembele playing in a double pivot with Hoybier, um has, has been a feature since, well, certainly December, with with tweaks depending on who the opposition is, and that's that's just Mourinho, isn't it? Certainly, you know, kind of the switch back to four two three one suits us, and I think had had a, made a difference. So yeah, certainly from that point of view. And <laughs> when we're doing these pods, you know, after the games, I was moaning every week about us chopping and changing defence and, you know, switching to a back three or, you know, what have you. So beginning to see a bit more of a settled um, structure, I think, was a good thing. And some of our better performances that we've had in February are a result, I think, of, of a more settled approach. Gareth, I want to bring you in on that man, Harry Kane, again. He returned, I mean, having looked like he'd possibly done both his ankles, he suddenly returned Phoenix-like you know, in this game. Do you think, looking back, Jose rushed him? Do you think that anyone can afford to do that? Do you think it's insulting to the manager to suggest that he did that? And do you think he trusted the player to make that judgment call? Well, the evidence speaks for itself. He's managed to get through the rest of the month. He's play, played apart from Wolfsburger, which he hasn't played. He's played every um, other game since then. And he's come through it relatively unscathed. Now, I'm not a physiotherapist, but... It did appear perhaps that injury he got at Liverpool. It, the problem was that he got fairly minor injuries in both ankles rather than getting a major injury in one of the ankles. That meant that I think once they got the swelling down, they looked at both of them, they, they realised that perhaps it wasn't quite as bad and certainly wasn't going to be as bad as some of the injuries he suffered recently. So, I mean, that fell into Mourinho's lap, really, that he was available and able to call on Harry for that West Brom game. And of course, he scored the first goal in that one. But, yeah, look, as if he breaks down against Fulham on Thursday night or against Palace, people will say that he came back too soon. But the fact that he's gone through three or four fairly vigorous games since then would seem to suggest that it was a, it was a good call. You know, Ricky, we beat West Brom, obviously, 2-0. It was West Brom, who incidentally have an away kit that looks like a, a, a disgusting children's suite, which is apropos of nothing, actually, but I just wanted to throw that in. Looking at week two, the FA Cup, the magic of the cup that we remember anyway. I don't know if it's the FA Cup today, but regardless, it's a trophy. Jose, Tottenham, winner, Tottenham, the year ends in one. Were you feeling it as we went up to Goodison Park? I thought, to be honest, this was this. I think I said at the time, this was our prime. Uh, this was our lowest priority, basically, out of the tournaments that we were left in. So whether that had a, I mean, immediately against West Brom, it was a bit of a gift of a game against West Brom in the sense of we could attack and we and a bit like in the home games we've done recently, we've been quite front foot. I mean, obviously West Brom done us all the favours in the world by playing the low block with no intent really to attack. Um, but into, into the Everton game, I my comment I put down here was Tottenham Hotspur football, can, uh, football Club can actually attack. I couldn't believe it. I mean, the first half hour or the first half, we were kind of electric going forward. We were like playing good forward patterns, good interchanging and that kind of thing. And I think from the Chelsea game and the West Brom game and then into this game was when Morris and, uh, and Lamella were getting a load more action. They'd come into the side and actually I know we say they're like the Chaos Twins and stuff but that was having quite a good effect and we were certainly seeing it in the um, Everton game and so it's free-flowing football but of course the other on the flip side it was uh, free-flowing mistakes in this game and you know you score four away from home and come out losing that's you know still a bit of a I wasn't too upset, as I say, because I don't think it's our main priority. And maybe that's why we did attack, I think, took that approach in that particular game. And also, um, obviously, that was without Kane in that first half. So Vinicius didn't start, did he? So it was uh, Bergwin, 
Lamella, Mora, and Son, and it and it works. And we haven't seen that combination work too many times. So there's always seemed to be something lacking. Maybe it's one of the standouts from the season that Son actually does look like he can play as a, a centre forward now, and uh, and has looked comfortable leading the line. Whereas previously he's done all right. He's got goals, but we haven't been sure whether it's him or Mora who should play there. And you know both Mourinho and and Poch had uh, struggled with that as a decision. The standout for me this period is Hoybier's wobble and he was clearly looking tired for, you know, through this game and the City game and, uh, and you know, on to West Ham as well the, you know, the following week. He's made such a difference this season. He's probably, is he is he player of the season so far? I think he probably is if you look at, if you look over the whole period. Evidence would suggest he's our most indispensable player of the season. Yeah. We don't, we don't really have a replacement for him so I would agree at this point in the month we are looking and thinking, wow, crikey, if he's dipping in form who's going to come in for him and we haven't seen too many mistakes from him up until this point but yeah he was he he, he was to blame for two against Everton and he had a poor game against City didn't he yeah well he said he was right at the heart of that five minute crazy spell up at Goodison which you know ultimately cost us a the game and a place in the competition as well. Um, for, for me, that Everton game, it was a continuation of what we'd seen against West Brom. So it was it was it was Ndombele and Hoiberg in midfield, but then four players in front of them. Um, and it did feel like there was an intent there to attack and to try and make something happen and say to have done it without Kane on the pitch, which has been the big criticism of both mm. Mourinho and Pochettino to an extent that they really struggled to get a cohesive attacking lineup when Kane was out. Gareth. Do you think that also follows through to, say, uh, yesterday's game, so the yesterday's game being the Burnley game, with that the two and then the four in front, and although you've got different personnel there, actually, I think a lot of the spirit in terms of going forward was very similar to we saw against Everton, just without the fuck-ups at the back. Yeah, there was a real sea change, and we saw it in West Brom. It was it was a really convenient game to have when we had it. Um, I think what it, what it boils down to is last year, at some point in the season, Mourinho spoke about having his short blanket, which basically meant that if he had his mm. blanket over his head, then his feet mm. got cold. And once he put it over his feet, then his head and shoulders would get cold. And I think we're seeing that at the moment. It might be a slightly different analogy to the one that he used last year. But once he takes the handbrake off and he lets us attack, what you then expose is the big flaws that we've got in the defensive unit at the moment. And that was never more apparent than that Everton game. Oh, it's fascinating about the analogy when you pull that up about feet and heads and covering and everything. It suggests to be that he's actually in February developing and living with the uncomfortable feeling of having cold feet about having to throw a blanket over his head and letting us take the handbrake off is that what is that what we're saying that he finally for all the sadness of losing 5-4 at Everton in the cup I mean can we agree that at the time we all did uh, look at each other and say well if you're going to fuck up a, a football match this is the way to do it and this do, do we think that this was a, a moment for Jose where he just sat and was like uh, well this is the culture of this club and as you know, I guess I'm going to have to keep the blanket over my head and my feet cold again I'm not sure if that's what that analogy means but that's what it meant to me I think we think that but I think Jose obviously the other thing we were saying after that is Jose might be saying well look Look, I told you so. We go gung ho, then you know our def- that's what our defence is. You know that's the risk we take. So you know, is he caught between a rock and a hard place? You know what I mean. So we'll, we'll soon find out whether when we get to the big game. So we'll, we'll talk about the North London derby that's coming up when we come up to the cup final against Manchester City. Does Sissoko then go in and Ndombele become the ten, and then we play with that more defensive shape again? Or perhaps he's trying to build a system now where you can play with Ndombele and four players in front of him with fullbacks that will fly on as well but I think only time will tell. And Dembele is playing very deep playing a very very similar role to Mourinho had Sissoko playing he's just a vastly better player he you know he, he's 
he's dropping back. He's doing those defensive shifts. The difference is that he's capable of taking the ball off defence and, and playing on the turn and playing a sharp ball forwards that Sissoko just doesn't have there. And in addition to that, he can also do the ball carrying that Sissoko can do. And you know, both uh, Pochettino and Mourinho have, uh, have had him in the side to do. So I, I, I think tactically, it's quite similar. He's just got a, a player there in that position who's got so much more to his game and can do so much more that it makes us better right the way through. First of all, I would agree 100% with what you said, but uh, on that analogy and uh, or that um, description of our play. But secondly, I do think it shows a manager, you know, again, slowly learning to let the handbrake off a little bit more. Yes, he's deploying an attacking player in a more quote-unquote holding position, but equally he understands that that player is essentially an at this an extra attacking, potential yeah. attacking force. So I, I, I think one of the interesting things to look at over this season, and I'm sure we'll touch on this with Bale as well, you know, did he did he have a dawning and thinking, oh, hang on, maybe, maybe I can play Ndombele at, at number eight rather than number 10? Or was it a conscious decision to play him at 10, to get him settled into the team, get him settled into English football? and then drop him back once he was up to fitness and once he was acclimatised because he had a, he had a terrible first season. And you know, simil- similarly with Bale, you know, we were all getting very impatient for Bale to come into the side, but his form when he did play was pretty poor. And now he's, you know, whether it's mentally or physically or whatever, you know, his fitness and his performances justify him starting. And if you're picking him, I think, to start before then, you're probably doing it on, well, if it's us, I think we'd be doing it on sentiment and, you know, or what he's done in in the past rather than what he's doing now so I think there's an interesting thing with Mourinho and, and the the approach you take probably tells us as much about our opinion of Mourinho as it does about the team and the and the players and what we're doing oh this gets into an, an area which we won't well, we really don't have time to exploit too much more today um but it does get into that uh pragmatist versus instinct act action that and we I think it's something we'll explore in the the much vaulted Jose pod that we are going to be doing at the end of March but Let's go back to this month, if we can, and let me just leave you with uh, the Manchester City game before we go on to the week three. Do we think that that was a freebie? On the one hand, nobody expects to to do anything against Manchester City at this point in time. But you could also say that with momentum going the way it was in February, could we afford to look at it as a, oh, well, if we lose to them, it doesn't matter. Uh, When you look back at that game coming up, how did did any of you feel? I think it was our time for luck not to be in our favour against Manchester City. There were some incredible stats weren't there the last what two or three times that we played them that we've barely had four or five shots in the whole across the whole three games and yet we'd won two and we'd drawn one of them so I think it was just a game too far for us we talked about West Brom coming at the best possible time I mean, Manchester City came at the worst possible time for us it was I think it was a freebie I mean in, in hindsight I think we probably defended quite well for about half an hour before we're going down to a rather unfortunate penalty but I think once we went one nil down the, the writing was on the wall somewhat and you just got to write it off I think our performance in the City game was a lot better than our performance against Chelsea. I, th- I think you're right. The luck wasn't on our side. When City scored, didn't really didn't help us. But I don't. I don't think it was a terrible performance. I don't think it was as bad as we bad as we've seen earlier in the month. From this position, I think we can start seeing. You know, maybe that West Brom game is the turning point. And whilst it's not steady progression from that point, you can see a way forward from there. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, expectations against City are pretty low at the moment for any team. I think. But yeah, I agree with my. I agree with Milo there. I think some of the attacking intentions has started to set in as a bit of a trend and we certainly look like we were trying to get that balance right it was just I mean our kind of defensive low block kind of and passive approach was as such that 
I mean, I'm not expecting them to go gung-ho in a kind of Aussie Ardiles way, but there's definitely some middle ground there where we can make it look like the team are working on... I know everyone says Jose doesn't teach coach attacking patterns and that, but something going forward where it looks like we're a cohesive unit, which I think was being helped a little bit by Lucas and Lamella, but certainly by Hoiberg and um, Ndombele established themselves in that double pivot just to give us a bit more protection and somewhere to move forward from like build attacks and that. Yeah, but regarding the City game, it was like almost a freebie for them really as well. A real sign of how good City's form has been. The last team to keep a clean sheet against them in the league was us mm-hmm. when we beat them earlier in the season I also wonder whether the pending cup final which is you know, obscenely a long time away but I wonder whether that played on the minds of either manager actually perhaps there's a bit of mind games in there perhaps Mourinho thought, Look, the league game is important to us here let me just throw him a couple of curveballs perhaps surreptitiously try a couple of things out here that we might be able to use in the final. Just to ask, I have to. Ask, I just want to clarify this because it's a it's it's an interesting point, and I'm not sure I agree. Are you suggesting that Jose saw this as a throwaway game at the time and thought, well, I'll try a couple of things, and if they don't come off here, then I'll know not to try them in the in the League Cup final. It's well, look, it's, 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 it's a bit far fetched, but Gary Lineker always tells a story. When we played Nottingham Forest in the '91 Cup final, we played them two weeks beforehand in a league game, and usually Lineker was man marked by Des Walker, um, and he said. In this Forest game, he was deliberately marked by Steve Chettle. And he decided that he would let Steve Chettle get to everything first before him so that Brian Clough would go away and think, well, well, I'm going to put Chettle on Lineker in the cup final. And when the cup final came along, of course, Lineker played as he usually would and he got in front of Chettle for everything. And eventually Forrest had to change it at halftime. You might remember um, Lineker had a perfectly good goal disallowed for offside in that game and won a penalty. So I think when there is a bigger game or there is a, there's a cup final in the future sometimes managers can use it just to try a couple of things or to throw a couple of curveballs in there and Mourinho being the Machiavellian character that it is he is it wouldn't surprise me at all if there was a couple of things that he put in that game just to try them out or just to see how Pep will react in the final it is an issue I'd never I'd never considered that I mean that would be that would make our manager the cool hand Luke of all time if he did that but you're right it's not beyond the realms of possibility we do not know what goes on in the mind of, of of this of this man, I say, Andy, he's a he's a very reactive manager. He will he will do things to try and counter what the other team are doing. So yeah, particularly in the big games, I'm sure when it comes around to the cup final, he will have something planned to try and negate you know City's strengths. Moving on to week three, you know, we stepped into this week playing Wolfsberger, Wolfsberger of Austria. Um, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that because I certainly didn't. That's the joke that will never end, isn't it? This month's been a and... geography for you, isn't it? So, you know, West Every Brom. <laughs> oh, that's right. I got the West Brom game. I got us in the wrong venue, but it did give me the chance to tell that brilliant Alan Smith story, didn't it? In the freezing cold. Uh, that was a, which it remains a, a brilliant away day moment. Uh, but uh, so we were in Austria playing Wolfsberger and we did have no, we the West Ham no, we game. No, we weren't. We Let's were start again. you know what let's just leave that in because once again (laughs) i've shown my geographic prowess as we look back at the month of february you're all very lucky that i can remember we're talking about the month of february at this point so we did play wolfsberger in austria no we didn't from (laughs) (laughs) you try Let's leave that in. I mean, it's obvious you you guys should be lucky that I can remember that we're talking about uh, the month of February. So we did play Wolfsburg from Austria 
in Hungary. And then we had uh, West Ham coming up. Well, I, I don't know where they moved to. Where did they move to? Did they moved to Eastbourne or somewhere? I don't know. Anyway, but we had these two games coming up, two away games. We were coming off the back of, I think, what we can safely say was uh, a bit of a struggle. We are struggling at this point in February. We're all searching for the optimism from, you know, 5-4 defeats and 2-0 victories over packets of children's sweets or whatever. How did we feel going into this game? What were we expecting? What were we looking for? I think we hoped that Wolfsburger would be as bad as they proved to be, which ultimately meant that the Europa League was another very welcome distraction for us. And it allowed us to begin the Bale Renaissance to give Deli Alley some more minutes under his belt. And it, it, it was nice. We very, very rarely score many goals in away Europa League games. Going back you know, right since Harry Redknapp's times, we just don't go away and score many goals in Europe. So to go there and to be 3-0 up at half time and really do what we should have done on a number of occasions in the Europa League over the last few years was was really refreshing to do it. It, it, it got the made the second tie, second leg irrelevant, and it enabled us really to, to focus on what should have been then a nice afternoon at West Ham. I agree with Gareth. I mean, I think I read a Twitter thread about Wolfberger before the game and I was slightly concerned because it did sound that they did say some good things about them and I have a little bit of a haunting thing about the Raw Antwerp when we played them and they were a very organised team and made us look mega average well that but, but that was Royal but that was Royal Antwerp I mean, that would be like if you were looking at Wolfsburg, thinking it was Wolfsburg, which I think one of us did at some point. I can't remember who. I mean, you know, we did play Royal Antwerp. We didn't play Antwerper. You know, so, I mean, in fairness, they were pants. There was nothing to worry about, really, was Who, the Wolfsburger you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the way I put it is, um, I think Wolfsburger, they um, brought pellets to a gunfight. And um, we we certainly had the bullets when it came to... That's a good one. Come on. <laughs> it's actually, that's brilliant. It's tabloid bungus. Carry on. Yeah, yeah thank great. you. It's actually, that's, that's all I am. News of the world. But um, yeah, I agree with Gareth. I mean, to get the game out pretty much out of the way in that first leg gave us some breathing space. It gave us some, we knew the second leg would come and we'd be able to rotate. And they were the lowest seed and they proved to be that. So um, it gave us a chance to fully focus on uh, West Ham without having to worry about the following Wednesday. Might have been Thursday. Can't remember. It was Wednesday, and Milo talking of as we was about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so do I, <laughs> as we can all, as we all know. Milo, as you know, Ricky pointed out, bullets were brought to the pellet fight so to speak and that bullet was Gareth Bale the return of Gareth Bale in in Hungary was 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 quite magnificent was it not I mean how do you remember the feeling about his performance it was fantastic it was a really good performance and they were the perfect opposition for us at the perfect time really really did help and I think the best thing out of both of those two legs was it you know there weren't too many first team players involved I think Sun was the only regular starter really wasn't he in the first leg and in the second one you know even he didn't start so that was really good and as you said those minutes for Bale and and Delhi to a lesser extent, were really, really useful. And I think without that Wolfsburger game, then Bale's probably not starting yesterday. He's probably not starting you know, those games towards the end of the month. And he wouldn't have had a, an opportunity to play himself into form. So I, you know, that could end up being more important than progressing from that round uh, in, the, in, in the scheme of our season, really, if we've got Bale back to you know, being able to play to, you know, to his full ability 
can make a huge difference for us. When I look back at the, the, the this week three, I have to tell you that one of my endearing memories was Delhi's nutmeg uh, on the goal line and his audacious attempt to score, uh, which I would incidentally encourage every time. And I was delighted to see him trying some of those tricks and flicks. And I think that we did have some debate at the time. You know, the fantasy leaguers of us here were, were sort of like, wow, play them both. Get them both in at the Olympic Stadium. Let's let's throw hell for leather. But the more sensible uh, pragmatic types pointed out that even our handbrake, semi-handbrake free manager of the developing in the month of February wasn't going to go quite that far. We did expect, do you think it's fair to say we expected to beat West Ham? We possibly anticipated we could, could concede a goal within six minutes, but you don't expect to lose to West Ham. You expect to be better than them. And you hope that you have luck on your side and you hope that you put in a minimum of an eight out of 10 performance. And usually that's enough to beat them. It was a game of two halves, really, wasn't it? So, uh, you know, and obviously mistakes there and, and the conceding the goal early in the second half really 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 hurt us but after that so you know in terms of taking the handbrake off and again if we see that progression through from West Brom we really threw everything at them in the second half didn't we and you know was it an eight out of ten second half performance well I I look back at that uh second half and I really firmly believe that it was the catalyst for what we are hopefully seeing unfold in the rest of the season I mean I thought it was possibly the best we played in 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 three months uh for looking back certainly if you wanted to embrace all the aspects of what we expect from a Tottenham Hotspur performance it was exciting it was courageous it was brave we were going hell for mm. leather it had all of those ingredients Ricky uh, d- d- what were you, as you were watching that second half unfold were you somewhat feeling satiated were you finally feeling well I it's think, not going our way but there's some relief coming yeah out. I think I think in the context of the game and in the moment, I mean, losing to West Ham or looking like we're going to lose to West Ham is never a good thing, especially that they were already above us in the table. And we've always considered them to be, we've always considered that game to be their cup final, not necessarily ours, but it was certainly a game I expected us to get something out of. But I, I, I you know, I fully appreciate that Moyes, David Moyes has got them very organised and with conceding the early goals, obviously that alters our game plan. So, yeah, my other news of the world headline for that one was that we gilded ourselves, basically. And second half came back, you're right, though. And we tried to undo that work and a little bit of luck. We might have got something out of the game. I think Sonny hit the post and maybe we hit the woodwork twice, I think. So, um, but once again, it's another little dagger in the heart, losing to them. And we're looking to try and gain momentum, looking trying to build. And it was another loss. So our league position is constantly on the slip at this stage so I think that put us nine points behind them did it an interesting one to compare to the game at our place earlier in the season so I would argue we did more in the second half to you know to to earn a draw than they did against us uh, at our place I think the other one to reflect on here is that Bale wasn't great so he came on as a sub at, at the lane didn't he and he missed that great chance and I think something you said Steph before is is whether Mourinho lost a bit of faith in him at that point so it, it, it's a nice second half to the story that uh, he kind of builds on the great performance against Wolfsburger against you know against West Ham at, at their place and and really really pushed on and, and, and earned a place performances that we see over the rest of the month that was the first time as well I think Doherty and Bale came on together didn't they and we seem yeah. to think that they might work quite well down that right hand side although Serge is back now and we seem to favour him as a right back but it's nice to think that if Serge can't play for a reason then maybe Doherty's quite they, comfortable yeah they linked up well against Wolfsburger didn't they Doherty put balls through to Bale a couple of times the, the very mixed and divided opinions on Spurs' podcast 
podcasts and Twitter and social media about whether we should be excited about the fact that we were good in the second half, that we stunk the place out in the in the first half. But I think my answer to that would be is, and there's been a very low bar this season, but there's been so many games this year where we've started badly and we've just never been able to pick it up. So you think the Everton home game on the opening day, Leicester, Brighton, Liverpool at home, once we went 2-0 down, we never recovered from that. So I think what we saw at West Ham, whilst it wasn't enough and in isolation, it didn't get us anything out of the game. It was encouraging because it was better than what we'd seen before when we'd been in a similar position. Do we think that this second half was truly the moment, especially given what had happened in the first three minutes of the first half, when Jose realised once and for all, I cannot make this team a defensive stronghold. I'm going to have to start looking at my marquee attacking players and I'm going to have to start playing with the ball and on the front foot rather than sitting back and defending and playing on the counter. I don't think so, because if you talk about the games we've been talking over, uh, about over this month, that isn't something he's been doing. And he didn't pick a formation to sit deep against uh, against West Ham either. The story of the month defensively is that we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot. It's not really a problem in terms of how we're set up. It's you know, individual mistakes. And, you know, this is a point right. Let, let, me be, let me be clear or maybe clarify so as you can answer a little more. Uh, what I'm saying is, do we think that perhaps... This is the moment where he's realised it actually, my centre-back pairing that I seem to be fretting over so much, essentially, it doesn't really matter. What matters is who is playing ahead of them that I can get the ball to so as we can actually create an overload of chances so as we might actually score more goals. I mean, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but again, do you think that maybe philosophically he's, this was a moment where he's like, I've got to stop worrying about this so much? But I don't think he was worrying about it before then. I think that happened earlier in the month. I don't think West Ham was the point where he decided attack was the best form of defence. I don't think that's what happened. Okay. That being said, we did have uh, what I think we might consider to be the beginning of our mini renaissance that came in in, in uh, February. Week four was, well, as we went into week four, I suppose we should do the fuzzy back in time thing that we were doing uh, a little a few minutes ago. As we went into week four, what were we looking for? We're looking at Wolfsburger at home. We're looking at Burnley at home. Are we still confident enough in our club to think that these are two teams we should be not just hammering, but hammering well? Or are we a little nervous that we're going to get dicked by Dyke uh, and that Wolfsburger are going to score a couple of goals and maybe just, uh, if not do anything in the tie, certainly underscore our frailties? I think with the Wolfsburger game, it would have been very easy to have just limped over the line and put in another fairly anemic performance and the the game meandered. And I'm sure we would have won, but... You know, it might have finished 1-0 or it might have finished, even if it had finished 2-0. But the fact it was more of an emphatic victory, and of course you had that goal by Deli Alley, you then had Bale scoring a, um, a, a very good goal in the second half as well. It really just built on what had been a positive second half at West Ham. And I think it was a really good springboard into, in, into the Burnley game. I'd agree with that. I think one of the things that really impressed me against about week four uh, Wolfsburger game was that it was a complete change in players so you know it was a second string side it wasn't uh, you know a half and half side it was a complete second string side but they actually played quite fluently and and that hasn't been the case earlier in the earlier in the season so I mean maybe it's come too late because I think the fixtures get harder here and I, I'm not sure in the next round we'll be able to put out a second str- a strength side and, and, and be confident of getting through but it is quite encouraging that players who aren't featuring so much in the first team can put in a performance like that albeit against you know not the strongest opposition and I 
I mean, we have to move on to the expectations that we might have had before the Burnley game again. I, I mean, I'll repeat my my little quip there. Did we feel that we were going to get dicked by Dyke? I, I don't think so. I, I think when we play Burnley, you need to remember that even in peak pot times, we struggled to beat them and they could make it very, very difficult for us. But we, we did exactly as we did last year. The game panned out very, very similarly to the to the 5-0 against Burnley, which if you get 2-0 up within 15 minutes, you've got them exactly where you're where you want them and we had that momentum behind us then to go and get the third and the fourth goal and again it was a very emphatic victory as we came into week four you know we're looking at a few weeks after the end of the transfer window do you think it's a factor within the dressing room that they're finally they you know they don't have to worry about people who are coming in and coming out they're starting to maybe see the manager committing to certain players in certain positions more than others we we, we saw Davinson Sanchez maybe starting to get the confidence of the manager in the last two weeks of the month uh, do we think that's a factor that maybe that the whole dressing room is a little more comfortable knowing that there's no more uncertainty within the squad um before the end of the season I mean, the, the squad's big enough to create its own competition really so i suppose some players are still wary about that um and of course people have come back from injury but it definitely looks like the side is more settled so there might be a few players that are thinking that their opportunities are now more fewer and far between but it's nice I suppose as you, but I suppose the Europa League is a bit of a curveball in the sense that the games will get harder so if people want extra minutes on the pitch alternative players I mean like Vinny and um, Davis and things like that there's the opportunities are going to be less for them as well so but I don't think we've got any anyone to create any waves in the squad really in the sense if people are being left out I don't think we've got anyone that's gonna you know so and a settled side is maybe what we need hopefully we can avoid injuries I mean that's a funny thing to say because if it's a settled side if it means less rotation it almost seems impossible with the game load we're going to have so something's going to have to give somewhere so I don't know that's not a very clear answer but no two players I'd like to look at as we look back at the month of February for differing reasons Carlos Vinicius is a player that we really don't talk about very much on the weekly pod uh, mostly because he doesn't play in the premiership but whenever the lad plays in the Europa League he manages to do something I mean I think he's got a fairly high scoring record in the Europa League and again the month of February was kind to him in that regard he was on the score sheet looking back at his performances in those games do we have any reflections do we think he's done enough uh, to, to maybe earn a little bit of a permanent stay or not a little bit a permanent stay at the club or or do we think no he's just doing his job and that's that's that I don't think he's at a point yet where you trust him in a really big game he did start against Chelsea and you know, there's mitigating factors why it didn't really work out for him in that game but it wasn't a memorable performance you didn't see anything from that thought yeah we, we want to stick him in in a in a really big game when it really matters because of course you're going to play Harry Kane there and there's no evidence yet that you're going to play both of them up there it's already congested positions that high up the pitch and with the likes of Lamella Bale, Lucas Moura, now Delhi competing to get into those slots. I, I can't see how it's going to work for him. But look, he's proved that you can leave Kane out in Europa League games now and he can score goals and he can make a difference. I, I think as we get towards the business end of the competition, the need for him is going to be slightly less because you're going to want to start Kane because you're going to want to have that greater assurance that you're going to get through the game without having to make changes. I think it's good that Mourinho has managed to convince Kane that he should sit out European games. He's always refused to do that before. He's at an age where he can't play every game. On Vinicius, I think he's done okay. In the in the games he's featured in, or 
or at least the European games he's featured in, he's done yeah, pretty much everything we could have asked of him in those games without showing enough to warrant a start in the Premier League and certainly not enough to justify a 45 million purchase price. But Milo, do you think that's just because the gap between the level of opponents is quite large, do you think? So we can't, you know, between the Marines and the Wolfburgers and all that compared to playing some Prem games? Huge. It is huge. How do we bridge that gap if we don't then kind of play? It's, it's chicken and egg, basically. Our second choice striker is Son, not Vinicius. That's the truth of the matter. We all we all clamoured for someone to fulfil the role that Vinicius is fulfilling. So if we do get rid of him, are we then back to... Because that was quite a big subject over the time, wasn't it? Everyone says, oh, Kane needs a backup, Kane needs a backup. We spend windows not giving one. And then we've got someone who actually seems quite suitable for the role and he has played well against lesser opponents, admittedly. So, yeah, I mean, not at the price tag Benfica want, but would we take him? Is there any level you would take him at, price-wise? Yeah, 15 million, 20 million, maybe. But I'd say Mourinho was talking after the second Wolfsburger game that Scarlett was going to be a first team player next season. Very, very young for that. You know, if he's third choice striker and he's, sh- he, he's shown enough, hasn't he? he? He looked good when he came on. I know it's only a cameo, but he looked good. You know, maybe that's better use of that money when we know that we've got to do a lot of work this summer and we're not going to have a lot of money to spend. Yeah, the budget so we, will dictate stuff, yeah. So we conclude that Vinicius probably didn't do enough in February regardless to, to sway his, his value to us any further than that which it already is. Uh, one, The other player I wanted to touch on was Eric Dyer, who I think probably more than any in in the side has has really had a tough. He's really had a tough month, hasn't he? And uh, you know, with even his own manager questioning his confidence and and him coming out and countering that and so on and so forth. So uh, so Milo, why don't you pick up that point when you think of Eric Dyer's February? Uh, what do you think? Oh, he's had a poor month. There's no doubt about it. I think I'm going to repeat myself again. I think the chopping and changing really hasn't helped. I think having both Aurier and Dreggy on out hasn't helped because it means that there's been a lack of pace in central in, in, in defence, which means that they tend to drop deeper, which you know invites pressure on. I think with the return of our first choice fullbacks, it does allow us to push up a bit more and and compress play. You give us give us you know better better options. Some of those crazy errors we've seen will will we will see less of them now that now that they're back. I think the big thing with the defence for me now is it's still a central defence is still an unanswered question. It's probably the only part in the team where we don't know who Mourinho's first choice are. So last weekend was Sanchez and Dyer. Midweek was Alderweireld and Dyer, and then against Burnley it was Alderweireld and Sanchez. And if any of us are honest, who's got a clue who's going to start against Fulham? Yeah, conversely, I wanted to bring you in, Gareth, on this point and and, and let's reflect Eric Dyer off Davison Sanchez's February, which uh, has taken a rapidly upward trajectory in the week four. Uh, admittedly, Dyer has often been the player who has to play the left-sided centre-back, which is, you know, an unwanted position for any right-footed player. But seeing as we don't have a left-footed centre-back, that's his lot. But again, reflect on Davison Sanchez's uh, sudden apparent uh, rise in the month of February. Well, he's, he's been the most fun player February, you think he scored twice at Everton. He then became a meme for his diving header trying to keep Gundogan's shot out against Manchester City. And yet he's the one, he's played four of the five league games. So he's been picked to play alongside Alderweireld and alongside Dyer. And he seems to be the, the sticking glue, really, in the formations and the formulas that Mourinho's trying. So 
I think he will play against um, Fulham, although I still think there is going to be chopping and changing. And I think that he is the one defender that has that extra bit of pace. Mm. So when you're playing against a West Brom or a Burnley and you expect to be pressing high up the pitch, you need him really, because then any you can help defend anything that might get played behind you. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think... I think you made the point, Ricky, last night about front foot defending. And you, when when he's picking Sanchez in the side, it's with the intention of pushing up the pitch, playing higher up. And that's certainly easier with Reggie on an Aurier back. When we play the North London derby, it'll be really interesting to see what he does and whether he reverts to Dyer and Elderville. That'll tell us a lot about how he's gonna, he's intending to line up. And if that, that's the case, then we're probably looking at two banks of four sat quite deep, soaking it up and then hitting them on the break. Well, the slightly bizarre thing is obviously Rodon's dropped off the radar completely. He's kind of taken over the Delhi role of not even getting in the match day squad. And sometimes he is and mostly he isn't. So we're really left with three to kind of rotate. And I suppose a lot of that is going to revolve, especially with games coming thick and fast, a lot of that is going to be revol- uh, who gets selected regarding fitness data. Because Toby... I think he's saying can't necessarily keep churning it out that often. And I'm most minded to think it's Toby plus one normally. I think both of them probably pay better. I think, and I think basically what I'm saying is probably Dyer and Sanchez is the one that I don't favour as much. But that is going to have to be an option. If we've only got three to choose from and Toby sits out, then that's who we've got to choose. If we can keep the fullbacks fit, then that helps, gives a bit more of a shield round everyone. Uh- it's interesting you bring up Rodon, Ricky, because I think he's a very significant factor in February, precisely because the end of January, he uh, did commit two, so they were schoolboy errors, you know, but in otherwise fairly strong performances, I think we'd agree, especially against Liverpool. Um, so I, I have to wonder if the month of February has been unkind to Rodan in, in a way that we're not hearing yet. I, I'm not prepared to fully commit to the fact it's purely off the basis of a couple of mistakes. But we do not know. Uh, we do not know. But uh, I think you're right, Gareth, when you say that Sanchez has been an incredibly fun player in the month of February. I, I think uh, already, because we are getting to that point where we're going to top off with those sorts of questions about player of the month, I think I'm going to get a sneaky early shout in off the back of that and 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 go with you there and say that Davidson Sanchez has been a delight in the month of February when we look back. He's been entertainment all the way. Yeah, you also remember the West Brom game when he used the new tactic of pushing players into an offside position, which was something <laughs> we've never seen before as well. Yeah, now I noticed that, yeah, against the West Brom. It was good, that was clever. Is that being an intelligent cant? I hope so. <laughs> I wonder. Uh, let's 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 wrap this up with with uh, with, with this review of February. Uh, a couple of short, sharp questions. Fingers on the buzzer. First in gets the answer. Have we weathered the storm? Yes, I think we probably have. I think if you look at the macro climate and you look at how really all of the other top six have, have gone this season. Each of them have had blips and they've well become blips. At the time, it felt like they were on a full-on implosion and everyone's got out of it. And I think we hadn't really had a big problem. We'd had a couple of bad results, but this one felt like it could have been more severe. But I think we've probably come through the other side of it. We're not going to go on a 16-game unbeaten streak now, um, but I don't think it's going to feel quite as bad as it has done over the last mm. four to five weeks. I think the thing that's remarkable about February and when we were pulling to get doing the preparation for this it really surprised me was that we end the month exactly the same number of points off fourth as we started the month and considering how bad the month has felt at stages that's really
really surprising. Mm. And we've got an easier run in than most of our competitors. That will help. I think, I mean, the jury's still out for me, I'll be honest. But I think you posted something in the week, Gareth, about the teams we've actually played have all been bottom half, bottom half of the league, are they? The ones, I mean, the ones we've actually won. Since we beat Manchester City in November, we haven't beaten any teams that have been in the top half since then. Against, against Crystal Palace, Wolves, Leicester, Fulham, Liverpool, Brighton, Chelsea, Everton in the Cup and West Ham. We haven't won any of those games. So mm. it's been convenient that we've had some fodder in there like West Brom, like Wolfsburger and West Brom. The, the test will be as we go and look in March when we start playing teams who are either in the top half of the table mm. or have got a bit of momentum behind them. And that's what we need, hopefully, just a bit of true momentum that we can generally, you know, it's a genuine kind of move forward. The flip side to that, though, is that we've had a number of games where we've thrown them away late. So you know, the Newcastle, Palace, West Ham first time around. And all of those are games where, you know, we really probably should have taken three points from them um, or been in a position to do that. You know, you add nine, t- nine points to our position and our season starts looking very, very different. In February, to summarise the month, we've been unlucky. You would have expected in the, certainly the Everton and the West Ham games, I think you played both of those five times. We probably win each of them three out of five times. We've probably just got the flip side of some of the more fortuitous situations that we've had earlier in the season where we've ended up winning games where we hadn't played particularly well or we were particularly clinical. And I think I think February probably has been the you know that flip for us. We've been on the wrong side of some some luck. Okay, fingers on the buzzer. Three, two, one. Who is your player for the month of February? Lamella for me. I think Eric's been he's been a great player for us this month. Just energy, taking the message out onto the field, uh, making things happen snarling, biting, chasing, that kind of thing. And also not breaking down with injuries. So that's been a plus as well. So hopefully he's still there for selection. Which player has had the worst month? I think it's been Harry Winks for me. He's been left out of teams. So he's not featured in any of the five league games we've played this month. And then he had that horror show up at Everton where his cameo and he gave the ball away for, for the final goal. Although he did play both games against Wolfsburger, I think his stock has dropped considerably. Throughout it's a the little month. harsh, the Everton criticism, don't you think? I mean, at that point, we've already let four goals in and we've scored four. And admittedly, there's no room for an error in top-level football. But I did think that some of the absolute abuse that he got uh, for, you know, for, for being a part of conceding that goal was possibly a little over the top. Do we think that Harry Winks has suffered more than most in February from, from you know, boo boys, as we call them? The problem with the Everton game is when you... And I like Harry Winks, and I definitely want him to be part of the squad going forward. And I think he's got more than enough credit in the bank to, to retain a position, at least on the matchday squad. But when you get him in the team, you put him in the team because he's good at receiving the ball in tight areas and distributing it well and the ball came I mean his second touch was a tackle wasn't it against Everton it was a tackle that he then didn't make and then two passes later we conceded a goal so it's the one thing you want him in the team for is the uh, is, is the error that he's caused. Yeah I think that's right I think um, Mourinho ideally would be using him you know in Europe and to see out games when we've you know we've got a goal or two up and you just want to slow down the tempo and see it out and I think that was the plan against uh, against Everton wasn't and it just didn't work. It was a frantic game. I think he threw him on to try and get a bit of control and it backfired. And maybe it was just difficult, a player like Winks coming on to a frantic game and it happening around him and he just didn't, he couldn't settle into it, but it, it really didn't help, did it? Okay, final two questions. And again, these are finger on the buzzer questions. Whoever wants to take these, take them. Who was the most improved player in the month of February and what was your highlight? Bale. Bale's the most improved. Is anyone well, else just not, I'm are you going to let that go? He just said Bale, Bale, and nobody just jumped in and went bail come on guys we're letting the side down it's bail 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 all february isn't it no you're let you're letting the side down we're not having the shirt on tonight come on 
It's smelly. I sweated oh, okay. I sweated with such excitement into it over the weekend that it now needs a, a thoroughly good wash, actually. But there we go. But sorry, I've, I've, I've sidetracked us. Uh, we are talking most improved player and highlights. Well, I assume that Bale would come out as the, the player of the month. So I was looking beyond him. And my most improved sorry. player of the month is your friend PS5, Lucas Moura, who's scored three goals in the last four games. He has made an impact. I think the criticism of him that he, he, he runs around but he doesn't actually achieve much but he, he scored three goals albeit I, I'm going to caveat that by saying it did seem yesterday when he was playing with Kane, Son and Bale it did feel like he was um, you slightly helpful mates, Slight, you? slightly helpful to him you think? Yeah it um it would have it would have helped him, but it just felt like when you're going out with your mates and your mum takes makes you take your younger brother with you just to tag along that he looked like he just wasn't quite in their in in their league, or wasn't quite up to their capabilities and their standards, and it felt like they were dragging him along a little bit. But that's that's more a reflection of Kane, Son, and Bale when they're at, at full flow. Well, I think that's a very fair shout. I think he's had an excellent last couple of weeks, and I mean I actually thought he he had his best game for many months for us. Albeit I think Harry Kane was instrumental in helping create the space for him to go into but that's by the by as you say he has played well he has scored a great goal anybody else was their highlight it's hard to look beyond uh delhi's overhead isn't it it's just great if, if there was another one i think maybe it was bale's pass for kane's goal ah, yesterday and just say it, it was a great pass but the other thing both son and kane are pushing right up on that as well so they're both playing up very high and they're both sprinting forwards bale was probably dropping into a place where we would have seen kane earlier in the season and then the only runner would have been son so being able to, to flip that and have two players breaking gives us a lot more chances to score Definitely. okay so i'm gonna round off our uh, february review here by reminding us that as the league table stood the last day of the month we were sitting or are sitting i should say in eighth having played 25 uh, matches got a goal difference of plus 14 39 points west ham are in fourth they've played 26 games with a plus nine goal difference and they have 45 points so as we go into March, you know, and let's make this a, a brief holistic overview, lads. Uh, we've got Fulham, Palace, uh, the Woolwich Wanderers and and Villa. Let's let's just take a wild stab. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go to you first, Milo, because I know you love a good prediction. How many points do you think we're going to get from these? Ten. I think we'll draw against Villa. I think we'll beat the rest. Gareth? I think we'll get seven. I think you've whilst when you've got Europa League games in there as well, they they might take might take precedence. Although we've seen an upturn in the last couple of weeks, I still think we're flaky. I still think we're gonna lose a game. We'll get seven points, we'll win two, we'll draw one and we'll we'll lose one. And I couldn't tell you which order that's gonna happen in. Ricky? Yeah, I'll agree with Gareth. I'll say seven as well. We're away to Villa, are we? Yeah, they're a tricky opponent. I think, yeah, we've got a good chance against the Goons, I think, especially because I think now that game's been flipped around, that's helped us a little bit. And I think they've got to go to Athens and we've only well, we haven't got go anywhere I don't think no so that's handy but yeah we've got two supposedly easier fixtures ahead so hopefully the momentum we've built now doesn't kind of chug to a halt like it might have done a few other times in the season hopefully this is genuine momentum and hopefully that's in combination with what Milo said about the old holy trinity up front there hopefully those three will um, keep us rolling because let's face it it looks good on paper I'm going to go for nine points out of those games and I think it could possibly be ten if we can remain fit I don't see us winning them all that's that you know i'd be very satisfied if we can reverse the uh league form we had from the end of january going in if we could get five wins 
and one defeat as opposed to having five defeats and one win from this uh, from, you know I'd be very happy I'd be happy to see that happen and of course we have as we've discussed gone into the Europa League last 16 Dinamo Zagreb which I think is a draw that keeps us honest without being something that we should be uh, you know shaking wildly in fear at uh, are we happy with the draw guys? Yeah could have. Yeah, could, it could have been a lot worse couldn't it well it could have been either Arsenal or, or Manchester United which emotionally would have taken their toll on us I, th- I think going to somewhere like Zagreb without a partisan home crowd to play certainly help um, looking at them looking at the coefficient rankings they are ranked 35 in UEFA's coefficients at the moment the lowest team were Mulder who were, who were 98 so they're about midway down it could have been far worse could have been kinder I think we'd have taken Zagreb avoiding the English sides is really key that Arsenal game it would have been three games uh, on the trot wouldn't it and quite often those games end up being a stalemate when you play each other so much by the third game you know no one, no one wants to be any part of it and it, it just you just cancel each other out so that would have been a real shame in a North London derby and uh, and, and it, I think emotionally it would have been really tough for the players so we, it, I think it could have had an impact on our league form so that it was great that that didn't happen How do we feel about having to flip the ties and I mean uh, there's something in the notes here about us being subservient to Arsenal it just does not happen in Tottenham Hotspur history I'd like to say we're subservient to the stupid rules of UEFA and the police and whoever else and uh, I mean I have to say I think it's somewhat unnecessary given the fact that there are no supporters in either stadium but uh, are we you know do we think this is a significant impact on on our Europa League run having to play the first game at home perhaps conventional wisdom suggests that you want to be at home in the second leg but look at our run to the Champions League final we played at home in all three of those knockout rounds against Dortmund against Manchester City and uh, and Ajax so I I think what's good for us is that we have the home tyres um, you know Ricky alluded to earlier it means that we play at home before we go to the play the North London derby whereas Arsenal travel to Greece before yeah. playing the home game. I think the old approach to knockout, to like two-legged knockout competitions has changed now. And I think in a lot of ways, being away from home in the second leg is an advantage because, well, because of the away goals rule, it gives you an unfair advantage in that second leg because you know what you've got to do. And if it's a draw at 90 minutes, then you're, you're, you're a huge advantage going into extra time. So I, I think that's changed. It used to be that getting a draw away from home was considered to be a good result to bring back by that case anymore. I mean, the other, the other thing to be grateful for is that um, although they've switched the legs, we, at least we can actually play in our own stadium. I mean, there's a lot of teams have been playing both their home and away leg in wherever, wherever they're allowed to. So um, we, at least one of our games actually is genuine home advantage. And as uh, Gareth alluded to, um, we're not going to have like the hostile crowd out there. All of this brings me to the fact that uh, there was a question, you know, will we progress to the quarterfinals of the Europa League? And it feels like we all believe that we are going to yes yeah yeah I I think ignorance is bliss really I don't think we know enough about Dinamo Zagreb and um... don't rumble us (laughs) I mean you're absolutely right I mean we we do I mean you're right I mean it does it is quintessential Brit speak here yeah we're gonna go through don't know about any of it it's all good (laughs) yeah well you know and and yeah Dinamo Zagreb are probably going to come out and weave pretty patterns around us but yeah you're right you're right there is a certain amount of hubris and ignorance involved in saying we're going to go through but we do feel we're going to right let's let's hope we um we do win at home with a nice margin so it might give us a chance to like rest the odd player I know that's being ultra confident now but yeah take a win let's just yeah I'll take the win and (laughs) Okay, and let's let me just say, you know, or let me just ask, I should say, uh, what single improvement would you like to see most in the month of March from Tottenham Hotspur Football Club as we look at those fixtures coming up? I think I want to see a team that 
can attack and can be set out with a handbrake off, but also has got a bit of solidarity about them as well. So perhaps that means that we find a central defensive partnership that we like and that we settle on and provides us with some solidarity. I agree with that. Just cutting out the mistakes in defence would be a start. What I'm hoping is, um, we talked about it earlier, about Ndembele and Hoiberg. Hopefully that just grows and grows as a partnership because of what I do actually think some of Ndembele's attacking contribution has gone down because of that so far. It's not quite... Because we've seen him in previously. He's he's a massively talented player when it comes to the threaded balls, the bursting through the lines, the no-look passes. And I think that has toned down a bit. Maybe he's just settling into that position because we know even in that position, if, if one of them is a bit more defensive, the other can go forward more, like Modric might have done when he was like a centre midfield partner and that kind of thing. Because the boy's got unbelievable talent. I want to see it to the max. Final sneaky question as we preview March. Actually, off the cuff and off the back of your fine point there, Ricky, do we think that the re-emergence of Gia Celso could see a shift in who plays next to Pierre Hoiberg so as maybe Tongi can play further up the pitch I think it's the other way around I think I think um, Lo Celso is like, most likely to play number 10 that's how Mourinho's preferred to use him this season he seems to have abandoned so last year we saw uh, Lo Celso playing alongside Winks didn't we in central midfield but he seems to have abandoned that, that this season I think Ndombele and, and Hoiberg is, is working really well Ndombele is playing deeper but he's so good at taking the ball off the defence and turning with it and he's got such a great range of passing and can also carry it it's, it's a really unusual mm-hmm. um, set of, set of, uh, of skills to have all of that in one player and the Celso can do exactly what Mourinho wants in a in, in a number 10 in that he can play further forward he can play balls through he's got a lovely range of passing he's got a good touch but also he's quite happy dropping deeper and uh, and helping out in central midfield and, and and Mourinho wants his number 10s to be able to do a bit of both so rather than you know, the comparison with Ndombele I, I see a comparison with uh, Lamella and uh, he's got that kind of Argentinian crispiness. he's got a lovely lovely range of passing and can run with the ball he can do all of those things but maybe he's just a bit more complete than Lamella or, you know, or certainly the Lamella we've got now Okay And I was just going to say I think I agree with what you said earlier on the chat Milo that I do prefer Dembele like having the field in front of him rather than receiving it to the back he's definitely that's more suited to his game I mean the other point I was going to make was I mean there's obviously the chance of a possible formation change in a 4-3-3 Hoiberg's the main kind of sitter there and then Lo Celso and Ndembele are just slightly ahead of him to the left and right. And what that also eliminates is them finding out who would be the fourth person ahead of them because it would just basically be Bale, Son and Kane. I'd, I'd really like to see that, but it would really limit any chances Daddy got. Well, exactly. that's what I mean, yeah. There'd be all, all those players, the Bergwins, the Mellas and the Moras, are then without a position to play in the team, basically. I mean, the only other way they could play that is with Hoiberg and then Ndembele and Lo Celso and then a diamond with Dele behind and then just two two players ahead of him if you see what I mean which I know we've done the diamond before and we kind of you know we hated that but maybe that was just we didn't have the players for it I mean it's not a system I particularly like but you know you, you know we started off by saying we wanted to see a bit of uh, stability and settling into a formation exactly yeah and now we're talking about chopping and changing yeah beauty of it is as I see it looking into March I think what we've all concluded is that uh, you know we have a great cause for optimism we've got you know the final you know marquee player that's been injured coming back and uh, even that last five minutes of discussion there shows us all that we've got an embarrassment of riches going into the month of March and that uh, we should uh, have no fear of anyone that we should uh, Mm. hope that Jose keeps the handbrake off so to speak let's hope that Jose keeps the handbrake off Uh, thank you very much it's been a great review 
we will be back after the weekend to discuss the following Palace games. And uh, hey, with regards to this pod, just remember, you don't need to refrigerate it. It doesn't have a shelf life or an expiration date. It lives eternally and can be enjoyed over several dog walks, several errands, several jogs. You might even want to listen to it again, just to make sure that you can pin on us what we got wrong in next month's review. If you like this pod, please help us spread the word by telling your mates, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, or by saying nice things about us on Twitter or wherever you hang out online. You can find us on Twitter at Glory Glory Forum, and on Instagram, we are at The Game Is About Glory. Please give us a follow and say hello. Guys, again, thanks very much indeed. That was a really great chat, and it's been a pleasure to be a part of it. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph. Cheers, Steph. Thanks, guys, and we will see everyone for the next pod.